0: Last year the world watched in shock and dismay as the Taliban overtook Afghanistan in just a handful of weeks. Many of you probably remember those horrific pictures coming out of the airport in Kabul, a, a US military aircraft taking off with an Afghan citizen hanging onto the wheel well, a wheel well, and then he falls to his death. Meanwhile, on board that aircraft were hundreds upon hundreds of men, women, and children from different nationalities being escorted into a safe place. The Taliban had set up checkpoints to get into the airport and they were using violence and coercion to keep people who had a right to leave country from leaving country. But at the same time, there were Afghans, Americans, and others who were setting up ways to get around those checkpoints to get people into the airport. U.S. service members at the airport were actually doing childcare in some instances, taking care of kids while their parents were being processed to fly out of that horrific place. While at the same time, there was a suicide bomber that detonated himself at the entrance to one of the gates of the airport, 13 US service members died. Uh, Scores more were injured. A friend of mine's in the 82nd Airborne Division and he said of all of his years in combat, he's been in the military 20 years, he has years in combat. He said of all the years in combat, that time on the ground, just those three weeks on the ground, in Afghanistan at the airport were the most disturbing he's ever had. He's still trying to process that. While all of that was going on, there was a group of U.S. special operators who had gotten out of the military. They retired. They saw everything happening, and they said, enough is enough. So they took matters into their own hands. In a handful of hours, they raised enough money, got guns, they got ammunition, they got aircraft, and they got in-country, and they actually saved a few hundred Americans to get them not only to the airport or get them to a safe haven to fly out. On top of that, they reached out to their Afghan interpreters and their families, And they had several hundred of them get out of country safely, all because of their actions. They were called the Pineapple Express, and they're what movies are made of. Good versus evil, or shall I say good and evil? It begs a question. Have you ever considered why God allows good and evil to exist at the same time? And I think a sub-question to that is, what are we supposed to do about that as Christ followers? Because let me be very, very blunt. The world is a, a very ugly and difficult place on one hand, yet it's a very beautiful and amazing place on the other. How do we reconcile that? How do we live in that tension? Well, such is what we're going to talk about today. If you get anything at all out of today's teaching, get this. Our job as Christ followers is to reflect Jesus as we live in the tension of a fallen world. Our job as Christ followers is to reflect Jesus in all we do as we bloom where we're planted, living in the tension of a fallen world. Well, God's got a lot to say about that as we step into yet another week of this incredible series called The the Puzzle of Parables. It's in this series in which we're looking at Jesus, the master storyteller, and several of the stories that he told. Now, a parable is a very simple story with, with concrete spiritual meanings, and we've seen that each week. This week, we're going to see it again as we look at the parable of the wheat and the tares, or the wheat and the weeds. It's found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 46. So turn to Matthew 13. Let me set the scene for what's happened. And we go back to 33 AD when Jesus is slammed on the cross. He dies. He's buried. He's resurrected. Our story picks up about two years before that. It's towards the end of Jesus' first year of his three year ministry. Now, Jesus has told a lot of parables. In fact, if you look at all of the different parables that he told, if you look at the four gospels where he tells today's parable, he's, he's surrounded by eight other parables that he tells. His audience are the Jewish people, the Pharisees, uh, the, the religious leaders of the time. The disciples, there were probably some Roman military officials around him because there was a large crowd. Jesus is in Capernaum and he's on a boat just off the shore and he's addressing everyone on shore. He kicks off telling a story about the parable of the sower. Pastor Bob preached on that our first week. The parable of the sower, it ends positively. It's about about how you get this huge crop from seed that's planted in a good field. But how do we live in a world in which that field has both good crops and bad crops? Wheat and tares, wheat and weeds. What we're going to see today is that God's kingdom is multifaceted and it moves forward despite of hardened hearts, despite of competing pressures, and even failures. So with that, let's get started. We're going to look at Matthew 13, starting verse 24. I always want to do my shout out to the theologians I leaned into. Uh, Dr. Chuck Swindoll is, is the first one. He's had a huge impact on me as a pastor and as, as a budding theologian. Uh, Kenneth Barker and John Kohlenberger also. I lean heavily into them. They're biblical scholars. Amazing. Remember our main thought. We need to reflect Jesus as we live in the tension of a fallen world. Let's roll. Jesus told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like... Okay, so when Jesus tells a parable, he's going to contrast things. We're going to see that here. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. So let's talk about that field. Let's talk about that field that the Israelites were living in, because it was a pretty rough field. Remember in Jesus' time, Rome had conquered almost two-thirds of the world. So, Rome was oppressing the Israelites, Palestine, through a a very oppressive government that was extracting huge amounts of money from the people through taxes. On top of that, you had the Roman military had conquered the territory. Now, no Roman soldier in his right mind wanted to be in Palestine. They looked at it as the armpit of the world, so they would take their frustrations out on the Jewish people. If you would look at a Roman soldier the wrong way, he could take you out and just beat the snot out of you or kill you with very few, if any, repercussions. Women and girls feared for their safety because a Roman soldier could rape them without any repercussion or very few repercussions. So for hundreds upon hundreds of years, The Jewish people are are praying for a Messiah. God, give us someone who's going to deliver us. And Jesus shows up, and they think Jesus is that Messiah. They, They think Jesus is that conqueror. Even the disciples thought that. Even after Jesus goes to the cross, dies, is buried, and is resurrected. We see in Acts 1 that they're saying, okay, Jesus, is it time? Is it time for you to overthrow Rome? And Jesus says, guys, you don't get it. This is not about politics. My kingdom was never about politics. My kingdom is about eradicating a cancer. That cancer is sin. My kingdom is about transforming hearts. Let's keep on going, verses 25 through 27. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? So the farmer's enemy sows weeds. We're gonna talk about that in a few seconds. But I wanna talk about what the weeds are. The, the weeds are, are actually Zuzania, or what's called bearded Darnell. Uh, they grow, they look exactly like wheat. As the wheat grows, the the wheat gets a a golden shock on the top. It's really beautiful. My dad was a farmer in South Central Kansas, and I used to love going to our farm every year around harvest time because those Kansas winds are blowing and the wheat's blowing all over, you know, amber waves of grain. It's simply amazing. Well here's the thing about bearded Darnell. It looks exactly like wheat until it matures. When it matures, the, the shock on top isn't gold. The shock is black. That's the way they get, where they get the term bearded. It's like a new way of no-shave November for wheat. And the, the, the black top is poisonous. So if you eat it, you could die. Worse, worse yet, the bearded Darnell goes deep into the, the soil. And its roots intertwine with the wheat. So it sucks away nutrients from the good crop. So the farmer's enemy sows seeds under cover of darkness. And we shouldn't take this the wrong way and say, oh, the servants are lazy. The servants need to be on point 24-7. No, I think what Jesus is showing us here is that the enemy is at work all the time and in the normal cycles of our lives. So the servants ask the farm owner, where did these weeds come from? Verses 28 to 30. An enemy did this, he replied. Well, the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Now, remember the the, the the roots are intertwined. So if you would pull up a weed, you could pull up the wheat at the same time. Look what he says here. Let them both grow together. Let both grow together. Let them live in the tension until the harvest at that same time I will tell the harvesters first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn." So the farmer recognizes who's responsible, the enemy. And what, what he shows us here is that good and evil are gonna grow together. Good and evil are gonna exist at the same time, and it's like, wait a second, they're, they're choking out and encroaching into the territory of the good wheat. Let, let's remove them. And what we're going to see in this parable that it's not our job to remove the weeds. It's not our job. A few hundred years ago, back in the Crusades, uh, there were some very zealous Christians who wanted to lift up and get rid of the weeds. Starting first in the church, if you weren't a professing Christian or if you were a Christian that weren't living life the right way, they'd kill you or imprison you. They took it a step further and they started killing people who weren't Christians. It's a dark mark on our church history. It's not our job to remove the weeds. The farmer says, let them both grow together until the harvest. So if you've got your Bible and you're reading, the the parable ends, and you're like, what the heck? What what gives? Because then Jesus starts telling two more parables. The parable of the mustard seed, the parable of leaven, or the parable of yeast. Pastor Bob covered that a couple of weeks ago. Jesus always did everything for a reason. He just didn't throw those two parables in there because remember the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast is all about a small seed, a seed that can grow a crop. Parable of the mustard seed, you start from small beginnings and then you have this future enormity, whether it's individually or within the church. Leaven, it starts from small beginnings, but then you're transformed, it transforms something from the inside out. And that's what happens to us when we receive Jesus. We start from that small beginning, and then he transforms us from the inside out. And I think Jesus' point here is that his kingdom operates quietly, it operates slowly, and it operates from small beginnings. It it starts simply with a seed. Jesus' kingdom is not about conquering territory. It's about conquering hearts. It's not about overthrowing political systems, but altering the spiritual landscape one life at a time through Jesus as Christ's followers impact those systems. It's not about a quick overthrow of evil, but allowing God to transform others. And guess who he uses for that? He uses you. He uses me. He uses the church. It's about living in the tension of a fallen world. So Jesus tells those two stories, and he's he's standing in that boat. Then he gets out of the boat, and he goes into the house. What we consistently see that Jesus does in his teachings is that he'll talk to a large crowd, and then he'll grab his disciples, and he'll say, okay, boys, I want to make sure you guys understand what's going on here. So look at this, verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. It was the house that he was staying at there in Capernaum. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. The disciples need an explanation. I I love what Dr. Chuck Swindoll once said. He said, to understand a parable, you must listen carefully, think deeply, and open your heart. And that's what they're doing. So now what Jesus is gonna do is he's gonna mansplain it, or son of mansplain it, to these disciples. Look at this, verses 37 through 39. And this is a deep parable because he's gonna show us seven actors or entities that are all involved with this. Look at this. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. That's Jesus. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. So Jesus lays it out on who everybody is, so let's talk about that. First of all, the man is the Son of Man, the man is Jesus. Jesus not only plants the crop, but he's involved with the crop and he directs the harvest. As I said, my dad was a a, a farmer in South Central Kansas and my dad was an incredible farmer. He would plant his crops and then he just wouldn't sit back and say, okay, grow, do all your stuff, crops that you do. He was always involved on the farm doing something and then he would direct the harvest. And that's important for us because that's what Jesus does for us. He not only plants that seed, but he grows us as we lean into him. And and as we go through the highs and lows and the wins and losses of life, he's right there with us. He walks with us and then he directs that harvest. Well, let's talk about the field. Because the field is the world. The field isn't the church. Many a, a, a pastor has said, no, this is about people who get in, in the church. They preach false teachings. They, they cause division in the church. They're not really cr- Christ followers, and, and that's an issue. And, and I will agree that can happen. But I always go back to the original language. Let's geek out. Let's Greek out. The word for world here is not church. The word for church in Greek is ekklesia. It's a gathering. The word that he uses here for world is cosmos cosmos it's bigger than the earth the cosmos is an ordered system that's run by Satan and he uses demons to to go against God to target us to target the church to target potential Christ followers they will use anything anyone and everything to ensure that there's evil and pain in this world they do not give a rip about you or me they care about themselves it's the ordered system it stands Against God. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. Let's talk about the good seed. The good seed are Christ followers or potential Christ followers. And that's important because remember, as the weed and the tares come up together, you can't tell the difference between the two. What we think could be a tar or a, a, a weed could be a, a very immature wheat. So you've got this good seed. Then you've got the weeds. Those are those who willfully reject Jesus. And guess who their planter is? The devil. And as i put this sermon together, every time I get to this point, I can't get Mike Myers from So I Married an Axe Murderer out of my mind when he talks about the devil, the fruits of evil. <laughs> or Saturday Night Live, you know, the church lady, when she's like, well, 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 what are they talking about at Cornwall Church Day? Satan, hmm? You can't spell devil without E-V-I-L, evil, hmm? Has nothing to do with the sermon. I just wanted to share that with you. Somebody, Anybody else getting that? Oh. Landed like a lead balloon at the five o'clock last night. Crickets, it's like what? Harvest. The harvest refers to the end of time. We're going to come back to Satan here in just a second. Welcome to church. Uh, the harvest refers to the end of the time, end of times after Christ's return. We talked about that last week. It's found in Revelation 20. The harvesters are his angels. So I want to press pause and I want to talk about who Satan is because there are a lot of misconceptions about who Satan is. We've got to know our enemy. We, we, can't, we can't overestimate him, but we cannot underestimate underestimate him. So let's talk about the misconceptions about who Satan is. Three main misconceptions. First of all, a misconception is that he's simply a force. You know, it's like Star Wars. You got may the force be with you. You got a good side of it and you got a bad side. He's not a force. We're going to see that in just a second. Another one is that he is equal to God. God that God is is some metaphor for good and Satan is a metaphor for equal. It's like yin and yang, they go together, or from that very uh, uh, spiritually moving movie called Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. (laughs) When, you should go with me on this, three of you are gonna get this. Jean Girard, and he may not make it to the 11 o'clock service, Jean Girard, he's a, a French Formula One race car driver, and before the big race, he says to Ricky Bobby, he says, Ricky Bobby, you need me like I need you like God needs Satan, the devil, and the devil needs God. It's not true. It's not true. Another, another idea about who Satan is is that he's all-present omnipresent. Only God is all-present. That's why Satan has all these demons, but he can't be everywhere at once. So let's quickly go through biblically who Satan is. Let's look at this. First of all, he's a personal being. He's a personal being. That means he has a mind. That means he has emotions. That means he has a will. Go back with me to to Jesus' baptism. He comes up out of the water. The, the, The Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And what does Jesus do? He's led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted in the desert by Satan. NOT A FORCE, BUT BY A CREATED BEING NAMED SATAN. AND JESUS THROWS DOWN WITH HIM. HE DEFEATS HIM BY QUOTING SCRIPTURE. SATAN'S A CREATED ANGEL. SCRIPTURE TELLS US THAT HE'S THE MOST BEAUTIFUL OF ANGELS WHO rebelled AGAINST GOD. HE rebelled AGAINST GOD BECAUSE HE WANTED TO BE GOD. HIS PRIDE, HIS PRIDE IS WHAT CAUSED HIM TO FALL FROM HEAVEN. WE SEE THIS IN EZEKIEL 28, VERSE 15. HE DOES NOT RULE IN HELL. WE TALKED ABOUT THAT AT LENGTH LAST WEEK. THIS ONE'S TOUGH. To swallow. He can only do what God allows. What that means is that God has given him limited power during or for this certain amount of time. We see that in Job chapter 1. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds about that. How can a good God allow suffering? How can a good God allow all that evil in this world? We've tried to answer that before here at Cornwall Church, and I just want to give you two references real quick. Write it down. May 2017. In May 2019, we had a series called Conversations and a series called Hope Beyond. And in both those series, we tried to tackle that question, how can a good God allow suffering? So he can only do what God allows. He's not all present. He's not all present. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18, talks about how we fight the principalities of darkness. And what we see is that Satan uses his demons to do evil and things in this world. And some of you right now may be saying, Kip, you guys are so weird. Well, as I said last week, three out of four Americans believe in the supernatural. Are we really that weird? He's actively working to nullify the effect of God's word. We see this in this parable today. And then last but not least, he has dominion over this world and its system. That one's hard to swallow. So let's go to the Bible, 1 John 5, verse 19. We know that we are children of God. We're the wheat, and that the whole world, guess what word they use there, cosmos. The whole cosmos is under the control of the evil one. So what we see is that God has given Satan the keys to this world for a specific amount of time. Jesus defeated him on the cross, and when he comes again, it will be Satan's total defeat at that time. Meanwhile, we've got to deal with him. We have to know our enemy. We don't overestimate him, but we don't underestimate him. We know that he who is in us, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world. we got to be on, our, on guard, though. we got to be on point. Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. He says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. He does it in our lives personally, and he does it against the world corporately. He sets up systems for hunger, pain, and poverty, injustice, famine, and war, and he fuels it and fuels it some more. So, our job as Christ followers is we got to rock the cosmos. We got to rock the cosmos. Go with me on this. Let me tell a few stories of some people and organizations who are rocking the cosmos right underneath our noses. First of all, is a friend of mine named Barb. Uh, Barb attends our 11 o'clock service. Uh, she is one of our greeters and one of our leads in guest services. Simply an amazing lady. I love Barb and her husband Denny. Uh, Barb was telling me during our neighbor-to-neighbor Neighbor program that she had been having coffee uh, with a friend of hers who's in her neighborhood and she is a devout atheist. So this friend brought up Jesus and Barb just started talking and they've been having these conversations over and over they're stepping into a place that a lot of people want don't want to go and she's like Kip I don't get it God shows up every single time we're having great conversations Barb is rocking the cosmos Some of you are familiar with our Skookum Kids Ministry that we support, it's a a local nonprofit that takes kids in in foster care, you know that first 72 hours of foster care when something happens and a kid is thrown thrown into the system. Some of you are doing short-term foster care, letting those kids know that they're they're safe, they're going to be okay, and they're loved, you're rocking the cosmos. Some of you or doing long term foster care doing that same thing or you've adopted kids out of that system or you've adopted kids from around the world or simply locally or regionally you are rocking the cosmos how many people here like in and out burger in and out burger okay i do this is manna from the sky covered with grease It's simply amazing. For those of you attending online who don't know about In-N-Out Burger, it's on the West Coast and the Southwest. I think there's a place in Colorado, but I'm not obsessed. It's amazing. But here's what they do that that rocks the cosmos. First of all, they have a charity that that is set up for uh, women and men and children who have been in sex trafficking and freed from that. If you look at a a semi, uh, an In-N-Out Burger semi, On the side of the semi, it has a triple eight number that you call to stop sex trafficking if you see sex trafficking happening. Okay, that's cool. They take it a step further. Did you know that their truck drivers are trained to spot and assess sex trafficking going on at rest stops, at truck stops, at at hotels and motels because those are three of the main places that, that sex trafficking occurs. On top of that, did you know that this place that provides manna covered with grease that is so good, did I mention that? that, that they train their drivers to provide aid and support to a victim while they're waiting for the police? They are rocking the cosmos. Second wake-up house. It's a, a ministry uh, that, that we support here at Cornwall Church somewhat. It's led by Lance and Colleen Oman. La- uh, Colleen is uh, our receptionist. For those of you who call here at Cornwall Church, you talk to her first usually. Uh, these guys are in uh, are, are in the throes of addiction recovery, helping people get on their feet as they... They live in these houses and it's, it's Christ-based and it's amazing what they're doing. Lance and Colleen are amazing people and they are rocking the cosmos. Skagit Young Lives, Skagit Young Lives is taking these teen moms who just need some help, support and love and surrounding them with that. Rocking the cosmos, rocking the cosmos. First responders, people in the medical community, teachers, Social workers, those of you leading in the industries or who are just showing up to work every single day, no matter what you do. And you're showing up and working with character, honor, integrity, and underline and circle this one, faith. You're rocking the cosmos. And it's what God calls on us to do, to rock the cosmos as we live in a difficult world. That's how we push back evil. We're not just supposed to sit back and watch evil happen. So Jesus, Jesus now describes the action after he identifies the actors. Let's look at this, Matthew 13, verses 40 to 42. He's talking about the harvest. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man, that's Jesus, will send out his angels. We see this in Revelation 14. And they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They'll throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We see that in Revelation 20. And again, last week, what we talked about was that Jesus preached and spoke more about the torment and punishment and pain of hell, of being separated from God, than he did about the hope and comfort of heaven, that hell is real, hell is eternal, and it's to be avoided at all costs. So look at this, the weeds grow together with the wheat, evil with good, unsaved and saved. But here's the thing, it's easy to skip over this. Jesus is the judge, but there's a delay in judging. Our job is not to judge others. Because here's what can happen. We can think someone is wheat when really they have no wheat in them at all. And we can think someone's a weed where they've got a seed of wheat growing in them. And we can want to yank them out. And God says, no, God wants all to be saved, but we know that that won't happen. So our job is to preach and teach and love well about Jesus. There's a delay in judging. Jesus is the judge. So he ends the parable then, verse 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Let him hear. Listen carefully. Think deeply. Open your heart. So what I want to do now for the rest of the teaching, I want to talk about four ways we can do that and give you some tools to help you as you do this. So four ways, four ways that we can bloom where we're planted, that we can reflect Jesus as we live in the tension of a fallen world. Those four things are be aware, be wise, be patient, and believe. Be aware, be wise, be patient and believes. Let's talk about be aware. Be aware is straightforward. 1 Peter 5, verse 8, the enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. So we don't overestimate our enemy. We don't underestimate our enemy. We know he is there. And so we guard ourselves. We are aware. Secondly, we're wise. We're wise. The book of James tells us that if we ask God for wisdom, he's going to give it to us with great measure. But it's hard to discern good from evil. Because what may look like good in your eyes to me looks like evil, and what may look like good in my eyes to you looks like evil. So how do we do that? Well, it's through God's Word. It's simply through God's Word. Back after Easter in April and May, we did this series called Growing. I spent an entire weekend talking about how God's Word is believable and true, why we can believe the Bible. We talked about all sorts of things with this. And one of the things I said was that you cannot truly understand good from evil. You cannot make wise decisions in your life without this, because we have skewed vision without God. So we discern. We learn our Bible, we get it in our hearts and in our minds, and we live it out. And remember, it's never to be used as a sword against someone, it's turned internally towards us as God transforms us. So there's wisdom there. We're called to be patient. Jesus says, let both grow together. And that one's tough. That one's really hard because the waiting's the hardest part. We're, we're called to pray, to pray first. We pray for others. We pray for our political leaders. We, we pray for, for those who are, are throwing down hard in the business of, of fighting injustice. We pray for those who don't know Jesus because those who don't know Jesus, well, guess what? That's where we started too, So we didn't know Jesus. We pray, we pray, and we pray some more. And then we live out the character of Jesus found in the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, verses 22 to 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We get involved in our communities as we try to push back evil. We just had a couple Cornwallers get elected to office because they believe that they can make a difference and helping with the against fighting the, the injustice of the world we get involved and we guard ourselves about being self-righteous looking down on others look how good i am and look at those people we guard ourselves against that and then last but not least we believe We believe that in spite of a a fallen and difficult world, it's it's beautiful because there's hope in Jesus, that Jesus does hold all things together. And he's given us this abundant life so that we can love God greatly, love others dearly, and glorify him in all we do. So what I want to do is I want to give you guys a, a tool that you can use to share Jesus with others. I love how so many of you are earning the right to be heard in the lives of so many different people. But at some point beyond your actions of... Loving others dearly, we got to talk about Jesus. So let me give you a quick and easy way to do that. Kip Jam 3.0. By the way, Bill Gates and company did not call me this past week for my graphics stuff here. It's pretty amazing. This week, the gospel. We're going to talk about that. It's an acronym. Each letter stands for something, and it's easy to memorize it to where you don't have a, a bunch of notes or anything. So let's let's look at this. First of all, G stands for guess what? What? Oh, here it comes. God. Boom. Mic drop. God. God loves you. Do not let anyone ever tell you that God does not love you. God loves you. And yes, he has a plan for you. Yes, he has a purpose for you. That it's to, first of all, glorify him, but to make an impact on this planet, to rock the cosmos. But there's a problem. The problem is, uh-oh, oh, oh, our sin. Talked about that last week. That our sin makes us incompatible with God. God's a holy God. He's perfect. We can't approach him because of this sin and selfishness in our lives. Sin is basically selfishness. We put our needs and the needs of, 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 uh, or our needs before the needs of God and others. We simply can't approach God. So we need help. We need a savior. For God so loved the world, it's you and me. It's everybody that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever, anyone, would believe in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus steps down from His throne and into the dirt to walk with us. God throws Him on the cross. He crushes Him with all of our sin, past, present, and future. And Jesus pays that price. Oh, that's the P. Paying the price for sin. Jesus dies. And he rises again. So we get him into our hearts. When we receive him as Savior and Lord, we're walking with him. We have what's amazing. Eternal life. Life beyond the grave. All of us have life beyond the grave. And we get that choice of where we're going to be. Are we uh, going to be with Jesus? Are we going to have this, uh, this uh, eternal impact? Or are we going to be separated from God? As I said, we talked about last week. and we got this... What the L? L, I said. L. No email. Send them to Bob. L. L stands for life, but it's life more abundant. Life more abundant. Here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean you're going to have rock hard abs, you're going to have a beautiful car, you'll never have bad breath, B.O., you don't have to pluck your nose hairs or anything like that. That's not what it means. What life more abundant means is that now you're going to have a way to understand and live in this world with hope. You're going to be able to forgive the unforgivable. People who would never say say they're sorry to you even though they ripped your life apart. You're going to be able to forgive them. You're going to be able to love the unlovable. You're going to have a purpose. You're going to be able to, to, to rock the cosmos in a way that those who don't know Jesus simply won't be able to. That's that life more abundant. The gospel made simple. And you can put that in your toolkit and share that with others. That's a great thing. But here's the the issue. The issue is that so many attending online, some of you here, you don't know Jesus. You haven't received him as your Savior and Lord. Last week, uh, we did what in, in old church we would call an altar call. And we had several people come to Jesus. That was pretty cool. And so what I want to do this week, because I'm like, okay, that was great. God placed it on my heart. We're going to do that again. And and for those of you who are Christ followers, please don't check out. Attending online, please don't check out. I need you right now, right now to be praying for someone who's going to be receiving Jesus. It's not about a prayer. It's not. It's not about saying, the prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. It's walking with him. It opens your heart with communication with God. And then you walk with him. So I'm going to be bold this week. And remember, we've got here in Bellingham, we've got Skagit, we've got uh, our multi-sites all around the the world. Maybe some of you are attending online, you're sitting with your families. You have not received Jesus. If you've not received Jesus, what I want you to do is just raise your hand and say, "I, I want Jesus in my life. I just want you to raise your hand. And we may not see you here in Bellingham, but we may, God sees you wherever you are. I just want you to raise your hand, and if we have anyone here, do we? If we do, no, that's okay. Uh, I I want us to be praying. I want you to pray. If you want to receive Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And those of you who are Christ followers, be praying for someone because they're praying right now. Here we go. Say this prayer with me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving me, for dying for me on that cross. I want you As my savior and lord forgive my past i turn from my sins as i walk with you into the future guide me lead me for the rest of my life in your name i pray amen and amen guys i'm convicted someone listening or watching, attending somewhere said that prayer, and it's amazing what God does. And what we want to do is we want to walk with you in your discipleship journey because it's a journey and it's tough. So for those attending in Bellingham or in Skagit, go to our guest services desk, grab a new believer's packet at the end of today's service. And if you received Jesus today, if you said that prayer, what we want you to do is uh, we're going to leverage technology. Text STEP to 94,000, STEP to 94,000. And what that does, like it did last week for a handful of people who did this, we're able to start a conversation and get involved with your journey. But as I close today, what I want to do is I want to give all of us here uh, a challenge. And the challenge is a question. I want you to ask yourself, where do you see yourself in this story? Where do you see yourself in this story? Are you wheat? Or are you tares? Are you wheat or bearded Darnell? Are you wheat or are you weeds? Let me give you a a, a very simple litmus test when it comes to, am I a Christ follower? So you've received Jesus as your Savior and Lord. If you look at that from, from from that time until now, can you look back and see any changes in your life? Positive changes? Changes on how you look at others? Deal with others? Deal with things in your life? Have you seen God working in your heart in any way, shape, or form? Are you more generous? Do you have a different outlook? How have you changed? Timothy Keller said it like this. I love the way he said this. When it comes to a litmus test for being a Christ follower, he says, are you more aware of your faults and sins, yet feel more loved? by the Father at the same time. Because guys, only the gospel can do that. It's a journey, wheat and weeds. We're not supposed to judge others. There's a delay in judging, but we are supposed to push back evil. We're supposed to rock the cosmos. We're supposed to live in that tension of a fallen world.